Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and I am joined, as always, by Don Pizzette. Don, how you doing? I am doing great. I'm actually super excited to be here because it's getting me out of an ISO 27001 audit, which... Oh, nice. uh, Believe it or not, is is not as fun as filming technique. Oh, I thought you were doing an audit course. You're no, doing. You're ac- actually, actually undergoing the audit ourselves. Oh, that's horrible. It's a good time. Wow, that is terrible. Well, we'll take <laughs> as long as we can. I've had uh, a couple comments last couple weeks on YouTube saying uh, they like the. We've gone a little long last couple times. They said they like it more. Oh. More technado free. All right, free extra technado for you. So. Congratulations. Uh, and we have uh, Wes Bryan joining us, who is filling in. Uh, Daniel Lowry's out at the Wild West Hackenfest right. in Deadwood, South Dakota. Absolutely. And um, that's a great opportunity for us to get Wes in here. Wes, yeah, how you definitely. doing? I got plenty of hot air. I can help them out. We can run long. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to stop talking about tech news. We'll start talking about movies. Yeah, movies. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> barbecue. Great to be here. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Whatever we can do. All right, well, let's jump right in. We've got a lot of uh, Linux news to get us started in the first couple articles, and this first one comes to us on techspot.com. Linux kernel 5.19.12 can damage Intel laptop LCDs, and a patch is already available. So that means, I mean, Intel doesn't make PCs, but Intel, any any laptop running an Intel chip? Pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you buy a laptop today... It might have a sticker on it that says AMD inside, or it might say NVIDIA. You know, it comes with a discrete graphics card. Uh, Not a card, but, you know, Mm -hmm. integrated on the motherboard. Uh, But if it doesn't have one of those stickers, then the odds are it's got an Intel graphics chip because Intel bakes those into the CPU. So really, really common. In certain configurations, the latest kernel update for Linux has has a little bug in it that does Mm -hmm. these white flashes. And the white flashes can actually damage your LCD in a way that, isn't easy to repair. You have to replace your screen. So Mm -hmm. that sounds like a full-on panic moment, but I want to set a a little scope to this. This is the real reason why I wanted to talk about it today is, first off, it only affects the Linux kernel 5.19.12, which is a bleeding edge, just released version, which means if you're running Ubuntu or RHEL or Fedora, any of the various distros that are really popular out there, you're not even close to 5.19.12. So you don't have to worry about this. It would be... Like Arch would be one of them? Would, it, would Arch be running yeah, Bleeding Arch, Edge? Arch, you could pull the latest. Sure. Uh, Fedora, you could you could manually pull the latest if you wanted, right? right? Yeah. Um, Gen 2, you could, you could get it. But for most people, it's not that big of a problem. Mm-hmm. And then it's not everybody with Intel graphics. It's if your Intel graphics is directly wired to control the LCD mm-hmm. and most systems have something else in between, like an intermediary. So it really does affect a small set of devices, but it's something to be aware of. You know, when you run the latest and greatest version of something, you always take a little bit of risk, but we normally think of it as like security risk or stability sure. risk. And yeah. this time it's actual hardware, which But is- it was out of beta. I mean, it was a fully released Oh, yeah, yeah, it's fully released, yep. Well, I'm guessing, you know, we talk sometimes, oh, this only affects, you know, 50 machines or something. I'm I'm guessing just just affected Daniel Sims' machine, who is the author of this article. He's (laughs) he's just pissed. No, I I would say the number of machines affected was definitely higher than that, probably in like the tens of thousands, but it's specific models. I want to say they list a few of them, Um, but they're they're They list the hardware architectures, the Raptor Lake, Meteor Lake. 
RDNA3, ARC, Alchemist, those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. And there's a handful of manufacturers that are using them. And so if you if you have a, a specific device that meets it. Now, what I would just recommend is if you're not sure, don't even bother with the research. Just wait. 5.19.13 will be out soon, sure. probably within yeah. the next week, and mm -hmm. problem solved. Absolutely. So it is a faulty Intel graphic uh, a graphics driver or something. And you know, most of our systems do some kind of power sequencing, right? We've got very specific voltages needed for by the hardware, and apparently that wasn't happening. Yeah, yeah, this one's tied to a faulty driver, mm -hmm. and that, that's that been a complaint for a lot of people over the years, is that Linux, the, the video drivers are always kind of wonky, even the Aren't officially the, supported ones. Hasn't Linux been the last ones to get them? Like, they do it for all the major ones that are going to be on the market and the OEMs that mm -hmm. are releasing them, and they're like, oh, we'll, we'll figure out Linux later, right? Yeah, Linux is still very much a server operating system, mm -hmm. right? And so graphics are kind of a secondary concern. And if you're a big manufacturer like NVIDIA, how many of your users are actually running Linux? So, is, mm -hmm. you know, does it make it worthwhile? Well, we're starting to see things like the Steam Deck and, mm -hmm. and other devices that uh, that actually use NVIDIA cards and run Linux. So things are getting better, but they're not perfect. And a lot of that's because the drivers are closed source. Mm -hmm. so, so this is America. So the question is, who do I sue? Uh, do I sue Intel? Do I sue uh, Linus Torvalds directly or Intel? Or just yeah, all of them, probably... It's funny you ask that, right? Because you, you wouldn't be able to sue Intel in this case because it's not their fault. They didn't write the driver. Okay. Um, they released some open source stuff, but it's up to you to use it. And I'm assuming there's a terms of service on the Linux and download. And that's probably where the fault would lie. And it's in their EULA or GPL or whatever that says use of this risk comes or use of the use of this software comes with no warranty. It's mm. not guaranteed to be fit for purpose and so on. Like all the the jargon BS you know, in the license agreements mm. that you skip past. Yeah. That's what protects them in situations like these. Are that's the consumers really protected? I mean, in a, in a case where, uh, let's face it, Linux is open source. Well, no, is that, you're saying li uh, uh, Linux is protected, not yeah, the consumer. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying in general, with something like this, regardless of who's in, uh, you know, uh, responsible, are consumers protected from this outside of just a general warranty? Well, you know, I don't know if a warranty would cover it because wouldn't sure. it cover the operating system it came with? Yeah, no, no officially supported, no commercially supported version of Linux ships with this kernel. Okay, yeah. So yeah. you know, it's something a user would have to do themselves. So there'd gotcha. be a little culpability there. But you know, yeah. I, I was talking to an attorney a few years ago because I was asking if I could get sued for something. Probably <laughs> it's like yes, you can. Yeah. <laughs> Am I protected? <laughs> and and they they told me something really interesting. He said, uh, Don, uh, anybody can get sued for anything. Okay. And he said, even if it's no merit whatsoever, somebody could still sue you. And do you want to eat the attorney's fees to defend that? Even if the case gets thrown out, you're going to have to pay. Mm -hmm. And so I said, all right, I won't hire Daniel. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> make your own decisions. And uh, uh, But it is the reality. Like, just because the Linux kernel is GPL and the license has some mm -hmm. exclusion in it, somebody could still sue if, if this problem affected them. Yeah, even if I've signed a... You know, a waiver. You can still sue. I can say I was I was under duress when I signed mm. that waiver. Yeah, because mm -hmm. I was. I was probably drunk when I hit the <laughs> next. I was under the influence of numerous narcotics. Yeah, <laughs> and that's Linux's fault. All right. Well, let's stay in the Linux world and move on to our next story, which is from Linux slash dot dot org. Uh, and this one is Canonical launches new free tier for its security focused Ubuntu Pro. Uh, I haven't heard heard of that version. So is this like security focus? Is, is this a competitor of like Kali or? No. So this is actually kind of interesting. Um, and I'll, I'll use Microsoft to kind of frame this up because you probably know how Microsoft does it, where Microsoft will support an operating system usually for about five to six years, right? Mm -hmm. So they tell you that they support 
the current version and the previous two versions. So right now we have Windows 11, Windows 10, and... Yeah, 8.1 is... Oh, 8.1 is gone. Yeah, so it's it's just two versions right now. Yeah, yeah. But let's say that you really loved Windows 8 and you still wanted to run it today. I do. Right? You could pay Microsoft some extra dough and they would still give you updates. They, they actually do this for Windows 7. There's a number of government agencies that still mm-hmm. run Windows 7, and Microsoft is providing them security updates because they pay. So if you want to go a longer period of time, you just have to chip up some dough. Well, if you're the United States Navy, you can do that, right? But if you're Don in Gainesville, <laughs> Florida, Microsoft isn't exactly going to yeah. bend to your On will. the home edition. <laughs> yeah, yep. So what uh, what Ubuntu is doing is they're saying, look, we've already got our LTS versions or our long-term support. They mm-hmm. give you five years of updates before you need to upgrade to the next version, and that's mm-hmm. good. But they also, in the background, are doing this longer, like, 10-year update window for clients that are, are part, you know, that have a commercial agreement with them. So they're trying to extend that out to just regular Joe Schmo people. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're just a regular average Joe and you want to be able to extend out that support to 10 years, you can upgrade to Ubuntu Pro instead. Mm-hmm. Now, with Microsoft, it's cost prohibitive, but did you guys see how much this one costs? Did not. Uh, no. $25. Ooh, 25 man. bucks. Uh, I was breaking uh, the bank. 25 bucks a year. Mm-hmm. So if you run it the first five years, it doesn't cost you a dime. But then when you go past that five-year window, now it's $25 a year for five more years. So mm-hmm. $125 basically, which kind of puts the pricing in line with what a Windows license would be but you get 10 years of security updates and so on. So Ubuntu is really, or Canonical, the company owns them, is trying to just get a little more friendly for businesses that want to be able to support this on their workstations. Now, if I remember right, Don, you know, if you look at the extended service updates that you can get in LTS versions, you get a 10-year life cycle, right? You get mainstream support for a certain amount of time, and then after that, no driver updates, but you get security patches. So wasn't this something that was already in existence for LT, uh, LTS versions? Sort of. So there's a lot of updates that don't make it into the LTS version by default, Okay, and you have to have a commercial agreement to get them. So, oh, okay. So there's, there's some extra pieces and there's some closed source code that's in Ubuntu that, <clears throat> excuse me, that is also covered a little bit differently. So when you when you really dig into it, it's the extra, I'm trying to find the text on here, here it is, um, where they're not just providing security updates for Ubuntu. Which it's is all their app- open source applications. 23,000 packages. Yes. That and are I all did being notice it, so that's what makes it a little bit different. Yep. And that's critical, medium, and high CVEs for 10 years. Oh, you were testing me. You already knew. I already knew, absolutely. <laughs> 10 years. Well, this is, the, this is the Linux guru over here. Uh, so 10 years on personal, small scale business, and then fully commercial use on uh, five machines. So, uh, and that, that's why I was just wondering with this, and you, you've kind of hit, uh, let me know like what the difference was because I thought that's the way yeah. it was in yeah. LTS to begin with. Now, honestly, I think at least recently upgrading between major versions of Ubuntu has gotten super easy. So mm-hmm. I don't know that I'd pay for this, <laughs> but, <laughs> but if I had some software like a you know a security camera or X-ray machine or something that was tied to Ubuntu 16.04, mm. then certainly I would pay to be able to you know continue to run that longer. All right. Well, there you go. So now you've got options. All right. Well, uh, let's shift away a little bit from uh, talking about Linux and look at some cloud computing news in the next one from TechCrunch.com. 
Google picks South Africa for its first cloud region in Africa. And I was a little surprised that they didn't have one um, in Africa. And then I remembered that no one uses Google Cloud. Uh, so <laughs> I guess that, that checks out. But, yeah, because uh, AWS and Azure, they already have a presence in I'm Africa. I'm sure. I, I would figure yeah. they do. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, we're, uh, you know, I, I assume there's a lot of traffic coming from that area. I was also thinking, like, maybe Egypt might be the other region that they'd look at because you've got Israel and stuff right there. But, yeah. So, you know, it, it's really interesting when you think about the Internet, right? The Internet is this global network. There's people all over the world that are united. And if you're here in the United States, it, it's easy to overlook some of the things that we have that other countries and other continents might not. So, for example, if you're in Australia, you likely are used to a much slower Internet mm -hmm. than we are here in the United States and definitely than in Europe because in Europe uh, – by far, they usually have higher speeds than we do in the U.S. Yeah, because the kangaroo has to bring the data yeah. <laughs> to you, and it's upside down. It's got to flip it. Well, oh, we've got a yeah. Yeah. we've got a lot of that infrastructure in place here that it's been here for. Especially look at Transatlantic and Transpacific cabling. Sure. Yes. You know, and yep. uh, Google's expanding their transatlantic cabling as well. And the, the transatlantic cabling uh, that's running between the U.S. and Europe, mm -hmm. there's I mean, there's tons of cables, huge amounts of bandwidth, but running all the way to Australia, well, you've got fewer options, mm -hmm. right? Running from the U.S. to Australia is a pretty big run. I think there is one cable that does it. Mm -hmm. uh, so they usually have to run from Asia. And so you'll find that, you know, while, while Australia is an English-speaking country, they're actually closer with their Asian neighbors mm -hmm. just because of geography and, and technology. Uh, and Korea is probably one of the, like, most connected countries in the world. And they're, you know, they're closer to that than they are to Europe and, and Asia. I yeah, mean, they're uh, known for their America. speed in Korea. For, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Time. So, so uh, you know, what I thought was interesting here is, you know, we, we do forget about continents like Africa, mm -hmm. where or I shouldn't say we, I don't want to put this on other people. I forget sometimes about sure, Africa, sure. where it's a massive continent. It's huge. And a huge portion of the world's population lives there. Like, this isn't like some kind of... It's not Antarctica. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is big. Mm -hmm. And so it is neat anytime we see more infrastructure go over there. Mm -hmm. There's areas of Africa like Kenya that are very, very well connected, have great infrastructure. But once you get out of a big city like that, you end up in rural areas really sure. fast where cell phones are all they have. Absolutely. And it looks like they're expanding their private subsea cabling as well. This one's going to tap into Aquano. Um, they've got four or five of them, I think, that they've laid. But uh, now, now help me out with the private sea cables. Is that like for their own point of presence within their networks? Is, is that essentially what it is, like their own yeah. pop? Yeah. So most most companies haven't felt the need to do a private cable unless it's like you know government contracts or whatever. Mm -hmm. But with privacy laws changing the way that they've been, mm -hmm. some companies like Facebook have been, or Meta, sorry, sure, have sure. been running their own cable, Alphabet, running their own mm -hmm. cable, because they want to be able to say that, yeah, while we did transfer data from Europe to the U.S., it stayed within the company's network. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to get around like some GDPR requirements and things like that. So that's one of the reasons they would have one of these private cables. When you have those regional or local privacy and data laws, we need to adhere to them. And this is one way that you can do it. It's going over their internal infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. And anytime you use somebody else's network they can always take it away mm, right mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so by having their own cable they ensure that they'll have that access now i don't know how well that'll pan out mm -hmm. i can't imagine how expensive that is yeah <laughs> so i'm curious I, 
brought up a map to see, you know, where the current ones were because I wanted to see like how close anything was to South Africa. And they list on the map uh, the the current regions, but then they list something called edge points of presence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those what, are what pops. are those? Oh, th that's what you were saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so how's that different than a, than a data center? So um, I'll give you an example. So for for them, if you're Google or if you're Azure or whatever, then then those are data centers for you, right? Okay. But as a customer. Like for me, those are, are pops. And the way we would use it, now I'll use IT Pro TV as an example, right? So we do video streaming. Mm -hmm. If our video streaming was entirely done out of the US, it'd be a pretty poor experience in Europe and it'd be a really bad experience in Australia or China, Japan, right? Because they're having to come all the way to the US to get video. So instead, we can upload our videos into Amazon CloudFront mm -hmm. or another service like that. And they can replicate the video out to the edge pops all over the world. And then that way, if you're in Australia, you hit the edge pop that's nearest to you in Australia. Or if you're mm -hmm. in Japan or uh, France or whatever, you know, you go to the nearest one. We just uploaded the video once, but now it's moved geographically closer to the customer. So really important. Uh, a lot of that technology comes from Netflix. Netflix sure. pioneered a lot oh, of this. Wow. Sure. And now, and it's a little bit different than a CDN because it's still their internal network. It's not a third party content delivery network that's just doing that to get those resources closer geographically to the per the same, customer. Same idea. Sure. Uh, with a CDN, there's some extra like caching that, that okay. gets configured so things might not stay in the CDN. When you talk about an edge pop, usually if you put the videos there, they stay there. Okay. Uh, but with a, a CDN, it would be if the video is accessed, it gets cached by the first person mm -hmm. and then recycled for everybody else who comes along. But if it is not used for a while, it, it caches out. Okay. Uh, so little little variation. Most people just kind of merge that functionality together. Sure. And at the end of the day, it's giving a better performance for the data that's de geographically dispersed. That's the goal. And, and there's some redundancy to it, right? Mm -hmm. Like sure. in, in theory, if, if the edge pop in South Africa were to fail, Mm -hmm. then it's not like all of Africa would be cut off. No, they would just go to one of the suboptimal edges, you mm -hmm. know, whatever the next best one is. Sure, and in that article, it did mention Kenya's strict privacy and data laws, which lends itself to what you were saying about having that only traversing their oh, internal yeah. networks. Yeah, yeah do not un underestimate Kenya. Like, they have a, a, a really impressive infrastructure, and it's well thought out. Sure. Uh, you know, we we see in the news, you know, you'll, whenever they refer to, like, Ethiopia or Egypt or whatever, we see the worst in mm -hmm. the news, right? But there's mm -hmm. actually a lot of really amazing things going on over there. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, our next article is actually a uh, part of our dough segment. Let's go ahead and roll that. All right, this one is from theregister.com. Utility security is so bad, the U.S. DOE, Department of Energy, offers rate cuts to improve it. Wait, so rate cuts, wouldn't they want more money to pay for those improvements? Uh, so basically what happens is the if you want to build a nuclear reactor. I do. Right? Or, or a coal power plant. Let's just go a little more yeah. reasonable, I guess. Clean coal. Uh, I, want, I want clean coal. All coal is clean oh, if you I want it. I forgot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and nothing is left. <laughs> so uh, if you want to build a power plant, it's expensive. It costs sure. a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And so very few companies can afford to actually go and build one of these things. And because of regulatory compliance, a power mm -hmm. plant can be shut off at uh, the drop of a hat, right? So if a company wants to build a power plant, they almost always have to take out loans, and they do it from the Department of Energy. So the ah. Department of Energy kind of subsidizes a lot of that. Well, anytime there's a loan involved, you pay interest, 
and the interest is at a rate, right? And so that's what they're saying. Oh, those is, rates. So that you meant the energy rates. Okay. Yeah. And I, I should read the articles. There is a little, I, well, this article actually doesn't go into that stuff yeah. at all. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think. Hey, it talks about that uh, there's generous monetary rewards, but yeah. the pre qualifying expenditures list is still kind of on the small side. So we'll, we'll see if it grows. Yeah. So the deal here is we know that our our major utility grid, our power grid across the United States is not as secure as it should be. And that oftentimes these, uh, oh shoot, I'm forgetting the name. Industrial, Industrial control, control Systems, ICS, uh, ICS systems, systems, SCADA Systems. Uh, SCADA, that's mm-hmm. what I was looking for. Thank mm-hmm. you, Wes. Yep. Um, so these SCADA systems, they were never designed to go on the internet. Yeah, and somebody got the bright idea. Let's hook them up to TCP IP yeah. networks. They were designed to be <laughs> highly reliable, like yeah. to be able to run for decades on end. And so guess what they've done? They've run for decades on end. And they've got security from decades, from decades ago. ago. Yeah. <laughs> so plain text password over a network, four character passwords. Just, I mean, yes. just the worst, if they even have a password. Telnetting into them. Yeah, because yeah, they, they expected this is only internally accessible. Somebody sure. would have to already be in the building to take advantage of it. Is that what happened like with what was it, the pipeline a couple years ago that was that was hit? So there was the like the one here in the Florida where the guy was like trying to poison the water supply. Oh, yeah. Uh, they had a internal only control system, but somebody had set up remote desktop on a workstation to connect to it. And so he was Perfect. remoting into Whoa. it after he was fired. And man. Uh, I think he was like increasing the fluoride. Isn't that what he was doing? Well, I don't remember. Yeah, but teeth were beautiful, but everyone was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so they're they're taking an interesting tactic. Security is so bad they want to improve it. So the best way to do it: bribe people, cold hard cash. <laughs> hey, it works for my kids. Uh, yeah. So you know, I mean, you think about it. These these type of systems, they have two major things, right? They're no well, many of major things, but things that come to mind. They're known for having these security vulnerabilities, right? These weaknesses in their systems. And they also have a massive bullseye on their chest, right? For threat actors, very well organized, highly well funded threat actors as well. So I can see why that they're why they're trying to put something in, uh, you know, like this in the colonial place. is the one I was thinking of. The colonial pipeline uh, that was attacked. I thought that one just uh... that just says ransom ransomware. Yeah. Uh, so it's probably a phishing. Spearfishing, yeah. But uh, but it is interesting to see what's going on. Uh, on one hand, it's disheartening to, to know that our, our power grid is, is so vulnerable. Uh, on the other hand, it's nice to see that they are actually putting pressure on it. But when you look at like the war in Ukraine right now, where cyber warfare is a big part of it, uh, I, I can't help but get the feeling that our country, the United States, is just not ready. Mm-hmm. And that if we were to enter yeah. into some kind of war like that, that we'd be hearing about, oh, uh, Kansas lost power today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's the kind of report we'd get. Yeah, because that's the first things when you think of like the Gulf War. Okay, we're going to go after the communications. We're going to go after supply lines and things. They would still do that before a war. They would just do that now mm-hmm. digitally. And yeah, we would certainly be at risk for that. So uh, good to, to get ahead of that and uh, figure out some way to, to fix that problem. So... Uh, incentives, money, always does it. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's take a quick break. We're going to uh, do that and come back. We've got a little bit more news. We're going to find out who got pwned right after this on TechNado. My name is Dana Morrison. I'm the IT director at Grace Christian School in Raleigh, North Carolina. I work with two technicians, Buddha and Anthony. We cover all grades at the school. We figure that we support approximately 800 end-user devices. My name is Buddha Nepal. I work as IT support here and AV specialist. I moved into IT department and and on our first meeting, other team members asked me, hey, 
what's your IT background? And I was like, I don't have any. We had this SharePoint project that we were rolling out. So I was able to go to IT Pro TV and um, watch. And by the end of this month, we were actually migrating all our files to SharePoint. I can use IT Pro TV's uh, supervisor portal to check the progress of my technicians so I can see what they're looking at. So when we were doing SharePoint training, I can go in and I can see that Buddha is hitting on that content. I really want to see hands-on how they do things. And if there was an IT Pro TV, I don't know how I would have done that. IT Pro TV has given us the ability to level up our technicians to a point where they can decide, this is important for me to learn and go out and learn. At home, I have Apple TV and there is an app there. And so I actually watch on Apple TV. I, I watch it on my iPad too. Saturday mornings, I still get up early. 6.30, I go grab a cup of coffee, I sit down on the couch, and I typically watch two or three episodes uh, as I just kind of increase my own learning skill set. I would recommend IT Pro TV uh, to any IT team that is looking to extend their knowledge. Uh, it offers a great, easy-to-access, interactive, entertaining uh, environment. It's just a great tool uh, for any IT professional. IT pros who want to learn on the go? The IT Pro TV Android app is for you. Now it's better than ever with the dashboard view built in. Easily resume viewing, see new courses as they're added, and track your hours viewed. Start up your next episode with the touch of a button to binge watch on the go. Track your progress at a glance, and download episodes as an annual member for offline viewing. Access all IT Pro TV courses with a simple button. Choose landscape mode for larger viewing. Choose your course by category, certification, or job role. Watch anywhere and pick up later on your favorite devices. So head to the App Store and download the IT Pro TV app. All right, welcome back to TechNado, and as promised, uh, we're going to get into the security stuff this week and find out who got pwned. Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. Yeah! Perfect. All right, uh, let's take a look at the first one here that comes to us from bleepingcomputer.com. Fortinet says critical auth bypass bug is exploited in attacks. So when we say an auth bypass bug, that means like to authorize you to get into systems like like OAuth or something like that? or Authentication. Uh, so, so you know when you log into an administrative console, it normally asks you for a username and password? I've seen that. This lets you bypass it. Mm -hmm. Just like not even... Yeah. For, yeah. For just like, no, no, thank you. <laughs> and just perform administrative <laughs> operations. Yeah. It's like in okay. the movies when you see the, the turnstile going into a subway and people just hop right over it. Yeah. Like that's well, it's like a fence with a gate and then there's just no fence or, and you can just yeah. kind of walk around to the side. Yep. Yeah, I prefer that. That seems easier than uh, cracking passwords or brute force or anything like that. So how, how does this one even work? So uh, so the the specific details are a little bit uh, interesting on this one, but uh, I will say that I've, I've given Fortinet a hard time over the years for numerous missteps like uh, hard-coded passwords and uh, hard-coded passwords 
and and a third time for hard coded passwords. But this time it's not a hard coded password, so they're <laughs> they're getting better. Uh, I still wouldn't be caught using Fortinet on any production system that I support, but uh, <laughs> got a little bit better. Uh, but there is a bug in in their administration console that. Uh, it affects a number of different devices. It affects their firewalls, web proxies, their switch manager. And, you know, if you're running this on-prem, uh, it it's exploitable locally because somebody has to try and access the administrative interface. But if you set it up for remote administration, then it's accessible remotely. Mm -hmm. And this bypass works very, very simply. So uh, there's a proof of concept that's out there. It's been given a CVE. If you want to read about it, it's CVE 2022-40684. And basically through a very simple script, you can point at a, a Fortinet device and basically get SSH access into it with administrative privileges and these were crafted http web like get or push or post or something type right of pat, pat. Oh, crap. yeah, yeah. Mm. it's it's hard to say it is uh, <laughs> it's almost like speaking words only not yeah yeah so in in this case uh you know it is taking advantage of the the web api that's used by the admin interface and i so I tried to pull the proof of concept before the show, and I couldn't find like that. One is out there. A security researcher has shown like a a, a video of him doing this exploit, uh, but they haven't actually fully released the code to be able to see how it works. Mm. Now, it was reported to Fortinet, and Fortinet, in their defense, they got an update out for this super duper fast, like within three days. Uh, so really, really fast response. So if you've got Fortinet equipment, the update is out there. Uh, and basically, you need to be at 7.2.1 or higher. Oh, no, wait. wait. 702.2. Yep. There we go. Or 7.0.7. Oh, it gets confusing because the different what hardware the is at different versions. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because you've got, it says the yep. Ford. So pay attention I, to your device and what the yeah. hardware yeah. version is. Ford so proxy. Yeah. Their Ford main product is the Ford OS that runs on their firewalls. And for that, it's fixed in 7.2.2. So if you're not sure, check the release notes and, and look at it. But uh, Fortinet has seen evidence that this is being exploited in the wild. And that means this, the, the threat is real. And so... If you've got some testing procedure for updates you need to go through, you should be going through it right now. But if you don't have a testing procedure, you just need to roll this out. Like it's it's exploitable, so you need to get it get it pushed out. But I hear if you upgrade to the latest uh, firmware that it destroys Intel uh, monitors. <laughs> it certainly so. could. Uh, you know, the, the other fix is to not use Fortinet stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say disable remote management, but that only helps you remotely. I guess if you don't use Fortinet, well, that disables the bug altogether. Yeah, but then you got to drive All in. right. And, and you, Wes, you bring up a good point, right? So if this is a, a vulnerability in the remote administration console, mm-hmm. right, and it's not available remotely, right, which is what Fortinet said is, hey, turn it off. Don't make it available remotely. Sure. Well, then then why worry about it, right? Ted immutable laws of security. If I could touch the device, it's not yours. Well, so there's that, right? But also, how many stories have we reported on in the last year? Actually, you probably won't be able to answer this, Wes, but <laughs> how many times Thanks, we you don't listen to this show? <laughs> that uh, uh, you know, VPN credentials yeah. get compromised. Uh, four. Uh, several. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I actually four. know the number myself. <laughs> I put you guys on the spot, so I don't have to be. But uh, <laughs> I'm guessing that no one at home knows the answer either. So no, I can say yeah, but, but many, many news stories where, where we'll talk about, uh, you know, some big high level compromise that started with some employees VPN credentials getting compromised. And so if they have access to your VPN and they scan your network and find Fortinet hardware, mm-hmm. then here's their way in. 
right? They can they can use this exploit, stack it on top of the compromised credentials they have, and off they go. Isn't that why why one of the things that I think I've, I've heard you push through the years is doing things like certificate-based authentication? Because then we're taking it out of the human element of passwords and credentials being stolen, right? Yes, and, and that's good advice. Wouldn't have helped here. No. It so not, not with this type of attack. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's the part that sucks, too, because they may have multi-factor authentication turned on. It might be using Azure AD for authentication. Mm -hmm. Like Fortinet supports all that stuff. But if there's an authentication bypass, none of that matters. And that's true because they did say the bypass worked in a crafted packet for HTTPS as well. And we know that's encrypted mm -hmm. and it's using certificates. So interesting. Yeah. And this mentions at the bottom too, that there's a workaround also available if you're not able to deploy one of the patches uh, immediately for whatever reason. So uh, yeah, can, and I, I believe their their workaround is just turn off remote administration. That seems to be correct. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, but then you got to drive into the office. It, this seems like it's saving everybody time because I, I don't even have to log in anymore. I can just. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, That's you're true. saving the the hackers time as well. But now, uh, in a little extra defense for them, um, I, I, I'm you not feel a bad. big fan of Fortinet. Yeah. So, but I do feel bad because there are other vendors out there like Cisco who have had things just as bad like uh, it was a couple of years ago where they had their switch cluster manager had a vulnerability in it where again you didn't have to log in or anything you could just start sending commands to the switch and do whatever you wanted oh, wow. because of a vulnerability in the cluster manager that honestly most people never used so here's a software you didn't even use that's just on the switch and you're vulnerable because of it so it, this is not a fortinet only thing but i do pick on fortinet a little more because uh, of the multiple hard-coded passwords they've been caught with over the years and, and the way they've done slightly shady reporting on it. All right, so if you had to put one of these two devices in the server room back there, would you rather put a Fortinet device or uh, a a Huawei device running uh, Kaspersky? <laughs> uh, so I, I, I would pick Fortinet, okay. and there's a reason for that, because the moment I use any Huawei equipment, I lose every government contract I've got. Well, that'll do it. So the, the the wallet determines the hardware. Well, I think you're just assuming that the Fortinet uh, equipment won't work too. So yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> if, if it yeah, breaks, you can't if you it. if you do business with the United States government, you cannot use Huawei. That's that's a fact. Is is Kaspersky good now? I don't think they have so. problems for a while. No, I mean, like the, the same US kind of thing, right? Yeah. yeah, but you could use it, but not if you had a government contract, right? Okay. Right. Yeah. They, they and that one they haven't gone as far. Like with Huawei, they've actually done an announcement saying we encourage American companies not to use yeah. this hardware. Uh, with Kaspersky, I don't think they went that far. It was just inside of the government that, that they they're stopped using. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Well, uh, it turns out Fortinet was not the only one that got pwned last week. We've got this one from Tom'sHardware.com. Intel confirms Alder Lake BIOS source code leak. New details emerge. The hackers. Uh, uh, the hack's perpetrator and origins remain unknown. And they've got a really uh, spooky bit of code that is shaped like a skull. <laughs> so you know it's a legit hack uh, based on that Shutterstock image. That, uh, was actually a, that, that was actually an LCD burn-in from oh, that, the faulty Intel sure. yeah. graphics driver. It's all yeah, because Alder, yeah, Alder Lake was mentioned in the other article, too. Right? <laughs> I'm sure I mean, somewhere in there there's going to be Kevin Bacon, too. I believe so. Yeah, he he was the one that likely wrote this uh, this code with the skull. But uh, so so, what is this all about? What does this mean uh, for those not in the know? All right. So modern processors are our hardware, but there's software that drives them, right? Mm -hmm. Especially like the UEFI BIOS. When you boot your computer up, it's got to be able to talk to the processor, and there's software that drives that. And the source code for Intel's Alder Lake processors 
was leaked out, mm-hmm. right? Now, notice what I'm saying there, it was leaked out. Initially, this was thought to be the result of a breach, that somebody hacked into their networks, gained access to a secure code repository. Since then, Intel has released an update saying, while they're not naming the vendor, one of their third-party vendors that's under an NDA leaked the source code, right? Now, who could that be? Well, if you're a motherboard manufacturer, mm-hmm. then you license the socket technology of Intel processors mm-hmm. on your motherboard, and as part of that license, you get access to the BIOS and UEFI source code for those processors that you support. So every motherboard manufacturer out there has access to this very source code, and there's a number of other industries where they would have access to it as well. So it's not exactly like a top secret thing. Mm-hmm. It's not like somebody had to break in to get it and dangle from the roof like Tom Cruise or anything. Yeah. Um, this is this is information that's trusted to third parties already, uh, and it got out there. And Intel did something really neat with this. So uh, instead of coming out and saying, uh, no, we weren't breached, or no, that's not true code. That's that's you know old code. Uh, you know nothing to see here. Move along. Instead, they said, look, there's nothing to risk. That this is code we distribute to third-party providers, so there's not really any damage you can do with it. But if you take a look at it and you find a flaw in it, submit it to our bug bounty oh, program. Smart. You know, we, we pay up to $100,000 for a bug bounty and, and submit it to us. So that means Intel is basically telling you, hey, if you have this source code, we're not going to sue you. We're not going to come after you with the courts or anything. So they're, they're turning this from a negative into a positive, which is mm-hmm. they didn't want the code to get out there. But now that it did, let's make the best out of it. So I, I thought that was a really neat reaction. That is kind of cool. And like legally, you know, a competitor couldn't take the code and... and and make it their own because it's still their intellectual property. Right. So they're still protected in that way. It's not like some someone's going to make a chip at home now to and use. And it's this. not like an open source project where anybody could pull down the code, make a contribution, and push it back. Right? I mean, once they have this code, if they decide to modify it, where's it going to go from there? So that that actually kind of ties into the one negative on this one. Okay. So if somebody modifies it, it's not like we're going to download and deploy it, right? Right. Yeah. But. In the code that was that was leaked out, there was a there was a private key for something. I forgot uh, the mo- uh, model specific registers uh, MSRs that's reserved yep. for pro- privileged code ex- execution. So there was a private key for that, mm-hmm. and the the attack vector that people are talking about is that potentially you could try and recompile and build your own UEFI firmware or whatever that was that contained like digital signatures for malware or other things. Sure. And if you had physical access to a system, you could potentially flash that in. So if you've heard about like uh, malicious BIOS or malicious firmware, Mm -hmm. that would be the type of attack here. Somebody would have to have physical access to your system to take advantage of that. So it's not really a high risk or something most of us worry about. Maybe if you're the CIA or somebody like Super or Cloak and Dagger, that might matter. Uh, but for most of us, it's not a big deal. So there, there might be some long-term ramifications for this. Intel might have to... I don't know if this is a factor yet or not, but they, they might have to um, re, re-sign their root CA mm-hmm. or, or just shut the root CA down and bring up a new one for what that purpose was, uh, in which case there's going to be a lot of, of updates that have to get pushed out. And these are not updates that users can do. These are updates that your your motherboard manufacturer or your OEMs would have to do. So we'd kind of have to wait on them to fix it. Most definitely, because there's a lot of secrets that are held in some of those chips. Like I know they, they talk about these model-specific registers, like your TPM. They use what's called PCRs, platform configuration registers, that store secrets and stuff like that. So if that stuff could be modified, you could 
potentially use it to exploit the system. Like who killed Kennedy and like those kind of secrets? Yeah. Oh, Hoffa. They're on the yeah. chips. Yeah. Oh, where Hoffa is. Wow. Yeah. What so, the Freemasons do with their time. Yeah. That's right. It's all I'm in so there. I'm so curious. So what I'm wondering <laughs> is, you know, because like you said, they, they would have provided this code out to, to several different companies. Is, isn't there a benefit, and, and maybe they do this, to putting some kind of fingerprint on that code to say, hey, we know it was it was you because, you know, we put this string of numbers secure in. Boot. Yeah. What is it called? Secure, secure boot. Secure boot. Because that, that, now that if I if I understand that puts like a hash value over your code and it's going to be checked every time it's run and if it's modified and it doesn't, um, you know, whatever the values aren't the same, it doesn't allow it to boot up, right? So that that's true, but that's compiled at that point, right? Okay. So you can you can digitally sign a binary, mm-hmm. but when it's just a like a text file, sure, you can't really digitally sign the text file. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if it's source code, raw mm-hmm. source code, you can't really digitally sign that. You could take exactly. a a hash to show whether it was modified or not. Okay. But yep. you know, um, if I were to give you because you need to be able to use the code. So I can't do something to it that would make it not usable to you. The code right? can't be a secret. Right. <laughs> or it doesn't work. And so, you know, if, if I distribute it to you in a way that's useful to you, you could remove any signature. It would be like adding a, you know, a Word document, add a note at the bottom. I gave this yeah. to Peter. It's Peter's like comments. It. Yeah, take the comments <laughs> yeah. out. <laughs> so, yeah. You have to sneak not, it in somewhere that's a little more. There's uh, not a hidden. great way to do it that wouldn't hobble what they're okay. they're trying to achieve. See what we do uh, at IT Pro TV is we will uh, record a thousand different versions of each episode so that if it shows up on a torrent site, we know uh, who yeah. who did it. I mean, you can do things like watermarks and all, but yeah. if you look at the movie industry, this has been doesn't a, work yeah. a battle they haven't won. And well, because so many of the bootleg things say like. Uh, for award submission or whatever they say, uh, you know, because it, it was sent to all the the Oscar people or something. And the Oscars, you know, they have a new uh, a new platform they use. So instead of sending these DVDs to people to screen, it's a whole secure web portal oh. that you have to log into mm. and watch the movie in the web portal. And what they found is since implementing that, uh, the viewer information has just dropped significantly lower. Like if you're Martin Scorsese, scored. Yeah, sure. You, got right. it. Uh, sure. you don't want to log into some web portal and jump through all these. But they're probably still and... voting on the on who wins. Like, uh, you didn't even watch these movies, yeah. dude. And, <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah, no one, no one watches that. I mean, half those Oscar ones. Like, There's who watched the English patient? So many jokes I can make about the algorithm they used to vote, but I don't think any of them are appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> if you can remember them for after the show, I would love to hear them. All right, we want to let you know about something coming up. We have uh, another webinar, All Things Cybersecurity, where Daniel will be talking to Tim uh, Medin. And uh, he's, what did he say he's with? Uh, do you remember the company he was with? Tim? I don't. Yeah, he was. I wasn't uh, I probably if I click on this, it'll tell me. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be an exciting one. One of those ones where we uh, I was the CEO and founder of Red Siege. That was it. I knew it was uh, some one of the ones that Daniel was very excited about. That is Thursday, October 20th at 2 p.m. Eastern time. If you head over to itpro.tv slash webinars, you can register for that. You can also see the, all the past webinars uh, that have taken place there uh, because they're all archived there. Like like Wes, uh, he and, and Adam I'm did. Okay. Uh, what have you been missing in Azure recently? Um, uh, small business security you did recently. So yeah, if you if you're enjoying uh, hearing Wes, 
there's a lot more of Wes that you can hear as well. So uh, check that out. And while you're on the internet, head over to technado.com and uh, you can uh, see all the latest episodes and uh, and contact us and tell us what you'd like to hear us talk about. But you can also click the big orange button that says sponsored by IT Pro TV and you can get 30% off of your personal membership uh, by doing that. You can also request a team trial and uh, get a demo of some of the features like the Pro Portal and see what those are all about and how they can help your team uh, upskill and uh, avoid all of these uh, who got pwned kind of issues um, by, you know, not getting pwned. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> not putting systems on the internet that shouldn't be on the internet and all that good stuff. So head over to technator.com to check all that out. Well, Wes, thank you again yeah, for joining us. Good and time. every time you're here, I'm like, why isn't he the one that's here instead of Daniel? But uh, if flights get delayed coming back from Deadwood, you know, we've we've got it covered, sounds like. And Don, as always. Yeah. Or if he gets lost in the prairie. Sure. <laughs> yeah. If you go the wrong way there. Yeah. There's nothing. Uh, go to the Black Hills and just <laughs> like a skeleton. That would be. All right. Uh, that got dark really fast. Yeah. But we hope Daniel survives the trip. And he's out there with Ronnie, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Both. They'll both be out there. So if any of you are out at Wild West Hackenfest, then uh, be sure to look for them. Yeah. Definitely say hi if you see them. Uh, that should be a good time. All right. Thanks all for joining us. And we'll see you next week right here on Technado. Mm -hmm.